Hey, welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number six. Namaste, motherfuckers. Episode number six. Uh, this is Tommy Van Auken. Tommy Van Auken, local painter, um, art teacher, cool guy, somebody I've uh, I've known for years, and I don't think other than like hanging out in bars or something like that. I've ever really had an extended conversation with him, but um, I got the chance to do that, and we had a great time talking, and uh, it's kind of long, but it's fun, and uh, next, the next one I'm going to be putting up is P. Hume, so be looking out for that. I'd like to thank um, my generous patron, Miss Sarah N. from... Uh, from the Maryland area who made a, a, a show of uh, encouragement and support via the website. Um, I really appreciate it, and I uh, hope others of you will feel compelled to do that at some point. Um, so, you know, a little bit that Sarah, talking about Sarah, brings me to, she asked me at one point, because she knows a little bit about my story, if one of the reasons I was doing these interviews was to explore, you know, my relationships with people in Richmond, because I've been gone from here for four years. Um, I went away from here for four years because I needed to. I had to go get my head together. So I went up to Minnesota to do that. Um, I spent four and a half years in Minnesota getting my head together. And I learned some things about some things. I learned some things about reality and I learned some things about my perception of it and how often my relationships with other people exist, um, not in consensual reality between me and them, but in my head. And a lot of times I'll you can make stuff up. I make stuff up. I, I read into things that happened or I remember things differently than they happened or I remember them in a distorted way with different emphasis, whatever, and those become the building blocks of a relationship. And I had certainly gotten to the point when I left Minnesota that I thought of a lot of people in the category of, like, mm, things are kind of weird. And um, this is not, like, an overt thing, me um, checking that out, but it, it's an, a component of why I'm doing this, like exploring some of the assumptions I've had about people and finding out how much I don't know about where they're from and who they are and what they like. And it's an awesome experience for me to sit down and to find these things out. And I'm finding out more about myself in the process, which is, uh, you know, really why I'm doing this. And I, in my experience, listening to these kinds of conversations on the other podcasts that I've listened to have been really illuminating to me. Um, sometimes, you know, in talking, you know, I or the person I'm talking to, we might say something that, you know, we're not totally committed to, but it's real. It's something that came out in a conversation. And I would encourage anybody that hears any of that stuff that might go, what's up with that, to go on the website and comment on it. Um, and if you ever want to, like, um, you know, I will read those comments and answer those cos comments on further, on future episodes so you can have your 15 minutes of obscurity on my podcast. Uh in thinking about this stuff, too, I recently, you know, assumptions, I recently went down to 
the river, the river, as we call it in Virginia, with some of my family. And two of my cousins were down there, male cousins who were three years younger than me, um, the ones that I grew up with my mother saying, you know, don't do that. What would so-and-so, you know, if you're setting an example, if they see you doing this, they're going to do it, whatever, And which isn't really not true because those guys got their shit together, and I really didn't. They're both married. They both have kids. One's a neurologist. The other's a teacher. And uh, a teacher lives in, in Richmond, and we were all down there, and his two kids are a little older than, than the neurologist's kids. But they were all playing in the river together, jumping off the dock, um, my cousin, you know, was like teaching them how to jump off the dock and showing them, and it was nothing to be afraid of. You know, they had life jackets on, and he was holding their hands and running and jumping off the dock with them. And I was like, "That's great," because those kids are uptight. Two of them live in the in Manhattan, and they don't really spend a whole lot of time around big murky bodies of water with shit living in them, like crabs and oysters and stuff like that. And they were hesitant to be jumping in there. So it was really cool how he got those little New York boys, those little Manhattan boys jumping in the river. And I was kind of dicking around sailing, and I hadn't sailed in a long-ass time. It was fucking, I thought I knew what I was doing, but I got there out there in that boat and was, like, jumping from side to side on it, like the boom swiping over my head, and you know, we're tipping over. I finally kind of got a handle on it. Came back around to where everybody was swimming, got in the water with them, screwed around for a while. We were, like, throwing the boys around. And, you know, when I was their age and I was their size, I had all these older uncles and cousins that were, I think they were younger than I am now, but they were, like, my size. And when when those guys were around, they, they really roughed us up. They tossed us around. They scared us. They hung us upside down by our ankles. They threw us in the swimming pool we used to have. They dunked us under the water. Um they were always doing some, you know, shit. Kind of like, I, you know, I didn't really take it as anything major, but I just kind of knew there was a chance that was going to happen when my uncles were around. And then I always was like, uh-oh, you know, I might think twice about getting in the pool when they were there. And, um, you know, so I got out of the water at one point, and one of the kids was up on the dock, and he was getting ready to jump in. And I picked him up, and I f- tossed his ass in the air, and he went smashing into the water. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like a ha-ha moment for everybody. But then I saw him a little bit later on the dock, and he was holding his side. And I said, what happened? He goes, well, I got hurt a little bit when you threw me in the water like that. And I said, oh, really? I, man, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I'm sorry. Let's hug it out. And, um, and he, get, you know, he forgave me. He's a sweet kid. But the kid barely knows me. You know, I've been living in Minnesota for years. I come back here, and, and what little he sees me, I'm throwing his ass in the river. Um. And I started to kind of dwell on that, even though his dad was like, you know, was like, I'm proud of you, how you handled that or whatever. Um, Started to dwell on it. And I was like, why is it that I feel like my job as the bigger, older cousin is to be the one to teach them about the random, violent, you know, out of control stuff that's going to happen in life? You know, they may need to learn that lesson, but I don't want them to learn it for me. I don't want them to see me coming. And think, uh-oh, you know, there's a chance that I might go hurtling through the air or be hung upside down by my ankles or somehow uh, abused. And that, you know, what, the uncle, the father of the neurologist who is also a neurologist, you know, was never really thought that shit was cool when we were kids. And he was like, you know, he kind of smarmily once. He's a very liberal guy. He was like, it's, it's another form of child abuse. And uh, I thought he was being awfully <laughs> uptight when he said that. But I think it is. It is a form of child abuse. I mean, it, it to to teach 
the little kids that what big men do is they throw you around, they overpower you, they bully you, they uh, um, they revel and, and gleefully, you know, wield their strength. That's not what I want. That's not what we want to be teaching them. That's not what I want to be teaching them. And I, yeah, I had to call them up and and you know just kind of tell them that and. You know, nobody was mad at me. I just, it's, it was another really revelatory moment that, like, how much shit have I grown up with taking for granted and assuming is the way that men are supposed to act that is just bullshit, you know? And I need to let go. Um, and I have lots of other choices of how to behave. So um, I guess I'm glad I had that little moment of awareness and nothing really bad came out of it. Um, but that's kind of, you know, that's what, that's the rule of the day. That's the order of the day right now is uh, getting, it's just constantly getting more awareness. That's what these conversations are about. And I hope that others get something out of them like that too. Little revelation. And uh, revelation is a good thing, man. Because you don't need to understand. You need to overstand. So uh, here we go, Mr. Tommy Van Auken. I don't think it's on. Check the uh check that. There's a switch. Try yeah. that. That's good. Now you got me? Uh-huh. How's that? Pull Is it that in okay? closer. Get it close to your face. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, then we get a real proper broadcasting sound. Okay. Yeah. Alright, better? Yeah, that's good. We can hear the full timbre okay. of your yeah. sexy voice. Right. I feel like a uh, little bit more of a rock star this yeah. way. I feel like you get to sit back in your <laughs> Eames chair, you know, yeah. kicking it, mm-hmm. and we're drinking coffee out of a beaker. I like that. Fake classy. Here. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I don't... I'm your name is checks. Tommy Van Auken, correct? Well, yeah, yes. we we can edit this very easily later, but like, I like all this kind of banter anyway okay. in the beginning. So. All right. Yeah, how much do you edit? Are you going to... I heard you, like, I'm with Matt, gonna, you were like, don't... Yeah, I'm not going to take out any th- stuff later on, but in, if it's in the beginning, I can, uh, okay. I can just chop it off. But, right. you know, when it comes to going deep in, right. the, in the track, and <laughs> I, have right. put, I have to cut something out and put it back together. Yeah, I don't I've, like I've that. had to do that. It's a pain in the ass, and it sounds kind of funny sometimes. Yeah, and I don't know about you, man. I mean, like, the whole creative process is seriously stifled for me by editing like I, I don't write i don't play music i don't do any of that stuff that i have to go back and editing itself i think is a kind of creativity yeah i feel like i mean that's uh when i put a show up in mm-hmm. a gallery actually kirsten gray said that I, she complimented me once and told me i was a really good editor but that is like it's like the last painting you have to do you take all of your paintings and you put them in the gallery and then there's this arrangement and sometimes having to make that brutal decision to take one of them, they're like, well, it's a strong painting, but it doesn't fit. It's not yeah. part of the whole thing. Right. And having to edit it out. But that is, I have to approach that as, like, it's its own, It's a, that is, that's its own creative process itself, just editing. Yeah, and I think that applies to other art forms. Yeah, it does. It's the... Uh what I think F. Scott Fitzgerald said: If you want to be a writer, you got to be willing to kill your babies. Yeah, you know, yeah. You, know, you feel the same way, maybe about a sentence or a word. Right, being able, to, yeah, being able to take a painting out. It's like, well, this is a nice painting, doesn't go. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think you know that's also that's the way technology has changed music a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Is that now, I you know you start getting like. Like maybe starting with like Beck and people like that, you started getting musicians that were really producers. Yeah, 
and they're you know the production itself is not a separation between like you've got a band and then a producer comes in and edits and fucks mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. You've got a band that is aware of like production from the from the get go. Mm-hmm. But uh, and also that idea that they're working. I mean, a lot of them have been working in an increasingly convenient form of, of recording, which is digital. That right. You can just sit there. I mean, it's not like tape. Like if you wanted to, uh, you have to have a technician who knows yeah. exactly what they're doing. And now all of a sudden you got technology, right? That yeah. lets bands be their own producer. I mean, this thing that I record on, it's not much more complicated than cutting and pasting blocks of text. I mean, I'm looking at sound. Right, yeah. Uh, bars. Uh, but if I pretended that was a sentence that I just put, I highlight it and cut it out. Chop it out. Yeah. It's gone, yeah. And it's, so for me, it's not that, that that work is particularly hard. It's that at the stage that I am with creativity, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. Like, I, I just hate, like, I don't want to do it. Like, right. I, I love this part where we're talking and recording. And it's the same with playing music or writing. I like to spew. Right. You know, or do that initial thing. But then to go back to this thing that I've already had my way with, you know, it's and then, like... <laughs> and then go back and chop it up and yeah. write. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, going back to something you're already tired of. Right. But, well, yeah. and that's, you know, that's the thing, the distinction between drawing and painting. Mm-hmm. Because if you try to make that distinction based on medium, I mean, you could draw with a paintbrush and mm-hmm. you can, you know, and you could paint with pencil for that matter, you know, or, or is it because it's on canvas, like all that stuff. But the way that I kind of make that distinction is drawing is is whatever is the is most direct. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, so whether it's a stick in mud or pencil on paper, drawing is exactly what it is. There's right. no, you know, you don't let it dry for five hours mm-hmm. and then come back and put another layer over it. It's direct, you know? Yes, yeah, direct. So it, drawing... And, this is kind of like drawing. Right. And drawing and, and language, um, like writing, are very close cousins. Yeah. Because you are trying to communicate an idea very directly. You right. want... I mean, if you're if what you're drawing are characters or pictures, mm-hmm. like if it's like hieroglyphics or right. cuneiform or whatever, yeah. you, you want somebody to get it. You're trying, right, you're yeah, trying yeah. very directly to have them get it explicitly. Right. And, and drawing is that sort of. I, I'm really trying to draw you. Draw I mean, drawing is almost like yeah. more like talking. Yeah. You know, where mm-hmm. writing you have that because writing you go back, you might edit, you might you know, mm-hmm. but drawing is almost more like this it's the direct thought Mm -hmm. you say exactly what you mean Mm -hmm. you know if you were because even if you were to write this interview there'd Mm -hmm. be some editing yeah i mean that's when i did do interviews like that there was a lot of editing especially to make me look better like my questions look smarter yeah make everybody look smarter (laughs) cut out the ums and uhs and all the all the you know all that stuff but now we're going for authenticity Right. But but even in your craft, okay, so you're a painter, and mm-hmm. you, you do work very figuratively. I mean, you're a portrait painter, yeah, yeah. right, mostly? Uh, I do a lot of landscapes now, actually. Oh, you do? Yeah, a whole lot of landscapes. But those are still representational yeah. you know, depictions of something you're looking at. Yeah, I work, I work from life, and it looks like the thing I'm, I'm painting or drawing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's cl- a, a closer cousin to drawing, and we know that most l- written language did come out of pictures, Probably, probably, yeah. You know, and then so with drawing, we still we want we want you to you want to communicate something, but you still want to be vague about it. You want somebody to meet you halfway, yeah. To some degree, yeah. I mean, you can be very very specific with drawing, but I always feel like I mean, and with painting as well, 
I feel like the most sometimes it gets really interesting when you can do that when you can make someone meet you halfway you know I I've like beginning students often really want to be super accurate they want to you know they, to draw well means you know to get every little thing that they see and what I the direction I try to steer people in is and try to steer myself in um that's really all my students are is they're they're my tests uh-huh. <laughs> they're, they're my my tests for my own ideas but mm-hmm. um is how much how little can i say what kind of economy can i come up with where i can suggest something and the viewer's imagination is going to take over get the rest of it and and fill in you know fill in the blanks and holes and everything yeah and also inject a little bit of their imagination mm-hmm. you know i don't it gets kind of boring when art or writing or anything turns into like where's Waldo? And once you found right. him, like oh, I get it, and it's yeah. done. I'd rather you know give rather give you know create an interesting question mm-hmm. than just find something that has a you know an open and closed answer. So well, that's always been my favorite thing about uh, creative stuff, and I, I all of the stuff that I've dabbled in, and I've never become a master of. Any anything? No, you never will. I, I haven't even tr- like. <laughs> I haven't gone as far as you, you know. Uh, but I did draw and paint at one time. Mm-hmm. And what I liked about painting when I was doing that is that I could start uh, just laying shit on the canvas and let something suggest itself to me, almost like um, you know, doing a sculpt- sculpture. It would begin something would begin because I did know how to draw to some degree before right. I started painting. Yeah, but I mainly drew superheroes. Like that's where I learned uh-huh. to draw was the Marvel, how to draw comics the Marvel way. Are yeah, you I, th- I had that? that. I think I had that book because they do take you through, you know, shadowing, foreshortening. That's uh, actually, you know, yeah. I had that book and it, I never actually followed all the steps and everything, but it did give me this whole idea of. What I, I later had, like a you know serious art class, kind of take me through this idea of doing it, like a gesture drawing and, mm-hmm. and an, an underdrawing and, and imagining your structure all mm-hmm. the way through as a three dimensional thing. Yeah. And then once you have that completely imagined, no matter whether you do it the Marvel way or your own way, once you you know imagine it dimensionally, then putting the shapes on the outside is easy. Mm-hmm. And that book did, you know, even at like you know, eight years old or whenever, you know, I got that, it did sort of like, I've always kind of, that, that it, it definitely left, it left an impression on me. Well, yeah, there was some really good things. There was all about composition, and mm-hmm. they showed you doing it with cylinders and spheres right, they and, simplified, and rectangles and all of that. Yep. Yeah, they, they simplified things down, and that still is something that I work, work hard on doing and that I, I impress on my students a whole lot is... Try to reduce everything down to the biggest problem that you can mm-hmm. instead of trying to find, you know, a zillion little tiny problems. Ask yourself, like, well, what is, you know, trying to find the proportion of a hand. Like, step back from the whole drawing and see how it fits with the whole Yeah, like, they would even, like, thing. show you that, like, a head is an oval. Mm-hmm. You think of the eyes as being up at the top, but, but they're, they're actually in the middle. Right. right. Yeah. So... You know, I, I'd done that, but like, got in, when I got into painting, I liked that, for me, the process is I don't really have an... I might have some idea, but I'm cool with just starting to lay um, right. paint on the canvas and see what happens, and then pursue the thing that suggests itself to me. Right. But like, I, no matter what creative thing I'm doing, I get off on that moment. That's like the buzz I'm chasing. 
you know, is that, oh my God, yeah. it's happening. You know, yeah. like I'm ha- the muse is, that is, you know. And that, yeah, and to keep that, that's one of the big challenges with doing landscape paintings for me because I'm pretty fast as a painter, you know. I mm-hmm. usually work like, like with a figure model, it's like one session, you know. But with a landscape, there's so much going on, I can't do it in one shot. And a big part of the technical process has been trying to uh, trying to keep that impulse there. Trying to keep the you know the way it felt when I was drawing, and it, you're figuring it out, and every moment you're like, aha, aha, mm-hmm, I get it, mm-hmm. you know. And, and it's that like that joy of discovering something and solving a problem and everything. But then, you know, when you, if you're doing a painting, especially a bigger one, there's some parts of it that are, it's just like mowing the lawn. Yeah. Like, well, i got to fill this in, you know. And trying to figure out something something in the process to keep that. Keep it fresh. Keep, keep that fresh. Just keep that impulse there. Keep that same, like, uh, so there's constant discovery going on. You know, so right. because it, if it if you approach a painting like oh I was just mowing a lawn, it's going to look that way. It's just going to look like oh you fill that area in with green, big green. Right. Um, I mean, whatever you whatever you're feeling when you create something, it comes out. It's going to translate out. You, it's impossible to you you can't hide it. You know. So, um, you know that so that part that part of it is the discipline mm-hmm. side of it, it. You know, being willing to edit to, to work back on it you know it, it doesn't get to just be the uh, ecstasy of right. creation all of the time yeah. at some point and you know early on when i was taking painting classes i remember having uh, a teacher say um you know you can do abstract expressionism but you better learn how to draw first like picasso was a master yeah at, you know at regular real yeah. life drawing i mean like he really he certainly learned how yeah he definitely you know. learned how to do it and then there's a, i know there's that quote i think it gets kind of misinterpreted a little bit where he says you know i first i learned how to draw like the old masters and then i spent the rest of my life unlearning it right i don't think that he was saying well, first of all, I don't think he was calling himself a master. I think he was saying, I learned in that same way, that same approach to drawing. Right. But the other thing is, I don't think that he's saying, I wasted my time. I think he that that was an important part of the whole journey, was figuring that stuff out, and then you know having that like as the rock to push away from. Right. Um, well, isn't cubism is... is recognizing that when you draw uh, something that is exists in the three-dimensional world mm-hmm. and then you, you render it on a two-dimensional surface like a canvas or a piece of paper, that you're creating a lot of illusion. Yeah. You're creating the illusion of depth you're, and height and, and mm-hmm. perspective and all that stuff. So he was trying to say, well, what if you actually took the three-dimensional thing and flattened it out? Yeah. Right? So he's like showing you if you actually took a three-dimensional object and put it on two dimensions, this is what it would look like, which is right. why it was so crazy. So yeah. he wasn't unlearning that. He was unlearning the, the Trump loy part of it, you know, right. the, the fooling. Yeah, and I think, he, I think he had to come from that, that place of knowing how to draw first to be able to do that. Or, you know, or even, even draw anything, even if it's something that's completely imaginary. You have to have that discipline. I, I believe you have to. You should have some level of knowing how to draw. At least, 
at least to create a direct path from your imagination out to the page. Mm-hmm. You know, that same problem with whether you're trying to draw something, you know, naturalistic or, or otherwise, you'll hear people say, like, I, I can't, I just can't get what it's in my head out on the page. Right. That's what learning to draw really is. It's mm-hmm. creating that direct path for whatever it is in your head, whether it's a drawing that chair just the way it looks or, you know, an arrangement of shapes that you imagine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's letting it, or whatever's in your head, <laughs> actually come out. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so what, did, like, what got you into, like, I mean, there are so many schools of painting that have, been, have, have played with this over an extremely long period of time to the point of somebody like Duchamp, right, who stopped painting. He right, said yeah. that really art is me looking at something, it passes through my brain, and then I tell you, like, Kilroy was here, like, I, I looked right. at it. So why don't I just skip the part where I make the, the painting? And yeah. I, so there's all this theory in it that fucks with, you know. Like, I, you know, in art school, I got really sucked into that, that theory logic trap. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, like, sure, why paint? I mean, why, like, there really is no reason to paint, like, no practical reason. I mean, the camera's been around since 1840, and printing press even before that, like, uh, painting is archaic, mm-hmm. you know? But, and so th- that was kind of the way I was thinking in my early 20s, this sort of idealistic way of, like, well, why am I going to paint, you know? Or even, like, art school, it, and but the funny thing is, in so in, in art school, I was doing stuff with found objects, which is definitely like Duchamp influenced. Mm-hmm. And I was coming home and painting in my own time for fun, uh-huh. and not even telling anyone about. You know, I was. And so after art school, I you know I, what I had to. You mean you were doing some of that art school confidential shit, like the old tampon and the teacup kind of stuff? Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. And, but you were doing, going home and doing and classic, going like, home fine and art painting. painting. things, yes. like <laughs> doing like realistic painting in my own time. <laughs> it was like my dirty little secret, you know? That's and, awesome. Uh, and, and I didn't even admit to myself that I, like, well, this is what I love to do, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, that actually took... It took several years, and even, like, so, you know, I come back to Richmond, I have a studio set up, and I was still, I was doing, what happened is I started painting just, I had some old paints, I think they were my grandmother's or something, and I just was like, well, I'm just going to, I'm not making art, I'm just going to, like, paint a picture, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, gradually, the direction I was combining found objects and paintings, and they were awful, they are really bad, and it was... Andrew Olson came into my studio because it was in the old FLF build space, the, the Garber's building. VCU uh, Fine Arts? Building? No, 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 no. The Garber's building where a lot of bands oh, are. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had uh-huh. a studio there and there was a wood shop. This company, FLF, had a wood shop there. And Andrew was the guy who looked at my paintings and looked at these found objects and actually just said, you don't need that. The found it, objects? Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was the most liberate. It was like the thing I didn't have, the simplest observation... I didn't have the balls to tell myself, like, stop doing this to make your art, the art professor that's not even here anymore happy. You want to paint? Paint. Mm -hmm. But they they could almost, they would almost call that like the the punk rock guilt thing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. It's not cool to write a pop song. Like, I got to be. Or or sit down and get, try to get really good at your instrument, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, 
you know, and it, it's taken me, and I still, you know, still I struggle with that a little sometimes. But, uh, and I guess that you know the big struggle has been like, how do I, how do I do something just purely for the love of doing it, but, but not let it get like corny and gratuitous, mm-hmm. you know? Um, Indulgent. Yeah, just I mean, I am pretty indulgent. I, I totally am. And it, I guess the other thing was like. Seeing Lucian Freud's paintings, the first time I ever saw his, any of his stuff, really looked at it, was, you know, a few years out of art school, even though one of my professors told me to look at him, and I ignored him. But um, was seeing that, and was like, oh, this is contemporary, and it's, it's what, you know, it, it's, it doesn't look... I mean, so much of painting, there's so many painters that wind up trying to make something that looks like it was done 100 years ago mm-hmm. you know and I that's pretentious I don't want you know um, so seeing like okay there is like a contemporary realism that's you know I can find that somewhere and uh, but yeah, it's, it seems like some of the most um, vanguardish kind of stuff that you can do now is to to take do what you want to do you know, I think you not know. Be honestly, pressured by <laughs> I'm gonna okay. I'm, I'm gonna break it right now. Here, here, <laughs> here comes everybody. This is here's the next big thing. Um, and actually, I, I had a, mentioned Langdon earlier. I had kind of a conversation with her about it. But I want to start the and I might be stealing some of her words here. But I want to start the sincerity movement. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like enough with the fucking irony. Enough with the like the just rejecting trying to be good at something like how about just be earnest yeah how about just just really you know and vulnerable maybe like well that's the, that's the thing is that when you're being earnest and when you actually put something up and and admit like i tried as hard as i fucking could on this and for now this is the you know i'm going to try to do better but this is the best i can do mm-hmm. that is vulnerable mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. really that's really putting yourself mm-hmm. out there you know but when you do a a painting and then let yourself like Oh, I know. I'll stick a you know, I'll stick a cheesy mustache or a a, right. a dinosaur sticker on it somewhere or something like that. Like, haha, it's a big joke. Sort of wave yourself a like permission slip to be laughed at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what if you didn't do that? Because you want to control. Right, you're trying to control that. It's such a who is going to criticize it and who's going to laugh at it. You've got this escape hatch, as I used to call it, like yeah. an ironic escape hatch. Like yeah, that's what it is. You know? Yeah. Like what if you? Yeah. Don't leave yourself the ironic escape hatch, and really, you know. And what if you? You really like? No, this is really supposed to be beautiful. And not everybody has to like it. Yeah. No, and <laughs> yeah, some people are not going to like it, and they can fuck off. You know, right. Just, like put. Do your. Uh, your best attempt to do the best you can. What if that was, you know, what if you really tried to do that? And it is vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And it's, but I think that is probably the edgiest thing you can do right now is, is to do your best and not, not try to hide behind, you know, some kind of irony or something. Well, also to walk that edge between, you know, staying in the consensual reality of a scene or a fashion movement or a group of people that you identify with and belonging, you know, to that. And like, you know, I don't know how many of those guys, like I always heard the people say, you know, the impressionists didn't consider themselves impressionists. They were trying to do their own thing with, you know, optical mixing and, and, and probably not. You yeah. know, so what, what I think what I see us, especially our generation has 
we're weirdly, I mean, at the age that we're at, you know, like, you know, we're actually approaching middle age, which is a fucking crazy. Approaching? Shit, you know, we're, we're in there, it, dude. Right? Depending. I mean, I mean, you know, you could be. How old do you think you're going to live to be? Divide <laughs> right. that in half and you're, you know. Well, who knows? I mean, you could be middle aged and be uh, 20, you know, die at 40. That's Nobody true. really knows. Yeah. But this, but we've had an amount of time of an arc of like being rebellious of, of mm-hmm. like, you know, trying to do our own thing and then maybe caving to certain economic pressures. Right, yeah, yeah. And, and and then also though like rejecting more and more the idea that I've got to fit in with a you know a group of people who are like my friends and my scene, right. which is a very strong thing in Richmond. Has oh, been yeah. my experience of like you know if you're not if you're not down with this group of people that are former VCU students in the art scene, mm-hmm. then you you might as well be a yuppie. You're not one of us. You're if you're not right. with us, you're against us. It is yeah. as oppressive as the scene that it was countering. You know, and that's you know. something like all the bullshit that people are now you know saying about punk mm-hmm. i mean there's some awesome i mean i'm 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 super we're super fortunate to have grown up kind of at the tail end of that like that that movement and have that happening that you know that in, internal criticism of pop culture that but uh but all of the i say this the whole like oh we were complete individualists mm-hmm. no they weren't no i mean my impression of the hardcore scene when i was in high school was like well this is just a bunch of macho dickheads it's just like the jocks only these guys will will talk to me because i can't make a basket mm-hmm. you know i don't play football but but it was the same Macho bullshit, posturing, self-aggrandizing. I mean, it was bullying, bu- total bullying. <laughs> and 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 man, their like their rules were narrow. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. you didn't show up with the wrong haircut. I mean, even like you had to have the punk haircut, but like if you had long hair mm-hmm. that you know even started to look slightly hippie-ish, no way you were out. You know. The wrong, the wrong band on your T-shirt, yeah. whatever. Like, I mean, it was a really restrictive, exclusive group. Mm-hmm. And uh, and like, what you know? So, where did you grow up? Here, you did grow I'm up in from, Richmond. Yeah, I'm from okay, here. but I went to high school in a few different places. Uh-huh. I, was a, I was a bad kid. I got sent around. Uh-huh. So, um, what was the trajectory? Was it all public school? Did you go to some private? Mm-mm. No, I went to some boarding schools. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah? And, and, but then I wound up graduating. Like VES and Blue Ridge and that stuff? Uh, so I went to – actually, I was the kid whose parents saw through the threat. They sent me to military school Ooh, for, yeah, yeah. for a year and a half. Union or what? Uh, Hargrave. Oh. Yeah, I don't talk about that a whole lot. But yeah, well, that's, that's fascinating, though. It is, it is kind of – I mean, it's funny because I'm the least – and I was then – I'm like the the worst fit ever, and I was the I you know I was like I mean I woke up every morning just I, my roommate actually made fun of me because every morning like they'd play this recorded bugle and the first thing you'd hear is me going shit. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize I did it after like three months. He he just started laughing in the morning. He's like, you do that every morning. <laughs> But, uh, no, I was the worst fit there. And I've even seen pictures of, me, you know, everybody else is all, like, looking like a little soldier. And I'm, like, this slouchy, skinny, you know, looking off to the side, you know. How long did you last there? Uh, about a year and a half. 
And did you uh, did you get just did you get drummed out of there or did you? Uh... Oh, I drummed myself out. Yeah, yeah. I, I think. Uh, I mean, I don't want to talk a whole bunch about my like troubled youth and everything. And I get along with my parents fine now and everything. But it was. But feel free to talk about that. I mean, the whole picture. <laughs> seriously, the whole not for lurid reasons, but like the whole picture of how you are an artist and, and what's all of this goes into you being. You know, okay, I'll tell you what. Yeah. Actually, okay, here's here's the the pivotal moment. Was I mean I was in a whole bunch of trouble. I wasn't like the home scene like most teenagers. My, my home scene was awful. My parents weren't dealing with it well. They sent me off to school, and my mother the most the best thing she ever did for me. My mom found a summer program at North Carolina School of the Arts that was and this is before like we didn't have magnet schools mm-hmm. for the arts around here then. Like the governor's school. Like governor's school. Uh-huh. And this was, NCSA was like that, or it was like the school in the movie Fame, you know. Mm-hmm, it was just mm-hmm. a, purely an art school, and it was a campus in Winston-Salem. It's a, I mean, it's a great program. And this, it wasn't summer camp. It was like art boot camp. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this drawing teacher named Clyde Fowler, who in, a, the, I guess, two weeks or something, I had him... I mean, that really set the foundation for drawing for me that mm-hmm. I still use today, you know, when I draw and when I teach drawing. Um, Shepard Ferry was one of my classmates there. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, and it, they were serious. I mean, they were, there was no fucking around there. And it's funny because even with military school where there's all this, this enforced discipline it was the hardest I ever worked because I just, I, as soon as I went there, it was like the doors open. I was like, this is me. This mm-hmm. is where I'm, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, I, uh, but it was the first time in my whole childhood school educational experience, all that. It was the first time that I'd ever had a teacher tell me to do something, give an assignment, any of that stuff. And that I saw a bigger end game that 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 had something to do with me, that wasn't you know do this because you need the grade, so you can. You go saw to the, next the benefit grade. in doing it. I yeah, I saw a greater benefit that was really like okay, this fits into my picture of myself, whereas sitting in you know math class for me was. That was always just like, so you'll pass the test. That's right. the only reason to add those numbers. Do you think that was a good teacher, or do you think that that was just that much like what you wanted to be doing that you were? It was everything. Yeah. It was the whole, and, and it was being around other kids. and Because I, I would always like, when you're in military school and you're into art, I mean, you know, you just, you're just basically a butt-fucking target, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, no one had any, you know, I remember getting in trouble there once and the commandant this guy, this guy is actually this German dude and he's like so Tommy what do you want to do with your life and, <laughs> and uh and I I was like oh, I'm gonna be an artist and he just looked at me and he's like okay well you can go now <laughs> and he's like they got nothing for me yeah and I, you know and this is the first time I went to well at least this, he didn't try to beat it out of you I mean no. they kind of did a little mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that but then I went to this program, and these kids were, like, serious about it, and they weren't fucking around. Mm-hmm. You know, this wasn't, like, pretend army. These guys were really, like, 
I mean, these other students. Um, right, so military school is kind of an abstract anyway. They're like they're giving you the discipline, but you don't. You're not even going to be applying that to anything, right? It's, most likely, it's totally abstract. Right. And then I go to this art program, and all of a sudden, discipline became a real thing. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I had a roommate who he didn't make it two weeks, and that that this is a summer art program. Mm-hmm. This roommate was like calling his parents to come get him after a week or two. He couldn't handle it. <laughs> he got drummed out of art school. He got drummed out of art school, seriously. Yeah. And, and other kids did as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I mean, it, it was like we had hours of homework every night, and we still managed to play and have a great time. Mm-hmm. But that really, I mean, that really, like, it was the first time as a kid that I actually, I knew art was my thing but this mm-hmm. is the first time i really had a vision and also i mean the teachers i mean clyde fowler still is just i think about stuff that he said in class and i i mean i break that shit out as a teacher all yeah. the time um and i've you know hugely in, influential teacher in fact when I, I went to the corcoran for art school after that and i remember some of my teachers and i had some excellent teachers there but I remember, like, in life drawing class, a teacher explaining, like, drawing the figure and realized, like, oh, this guy, like, he does this ain't <laughs> beyond that point mm-hmm. just in a 10-day. In a and it was really intensive. Um, hey, I know you don't edit, but I, I can pause pee. it. I pause yeah. it because I got to take Say it. Say I got to piss like a motherfucker. I got to piss like a motherfucker. Yeah, like, what have we learned? Uh, yeah. It, that is, and part of it is also the, um, you know, Tommy just was saying what I was documenting here, or you were just saying that. I, I try not to speak to an audience, an imagined audience. No. <laughs> um, but this is also like starting the painting and seeing what develops out of it. Right. You know, like, if I was going to... It's your raw material. Yeah. I yeah. mean, because I, I won't, if I have to know where it's going, I'm never going to do it. You know, like, well, and, I, <laughs> I and maybe start, also when you, you know, know exactly where it's going, and maybe this goes back to what I was saying about drawing, trying to keep that impulse going with painting, is if you know exactly where it's going, it gets boring. Yeah. You know, then it's, I mean, it, it's like. Uh, I mean, there's got to be a process of discovery involved, yeah. you know, that. that, that That's ex- the fun of it. Right. That's, it's the chase. It's mm-hmm. the trying to, you know, trying to see what's. If you if you wake up and you're already like oh I know what the solution is, mm-hmm. I mean what's the what why you, get out of bed? Why get out of bed? <laughs> like, why, why go why go do anything? You know. So where we were talking about uh, the fine arts program. So where did you go to college? I went to yeah. Corcoran. Corcoran. Yeah. And what is that? That's a little art school in DC. Yeah. And it's, which is mo- I know most of Richmond went to VCU, and I was I kind of bucked that. Well, mm-hmm. part of it, I think. My dad was pretty insistent, as he as he already had been through high school, that I wasn't going to live here, but uh, anywhere near him. <laughs> but uh, and and dad and I get along great now. We have lunch once a week. We're friends and all that. So I, feel like I should I should point that out. But um, and I guess at the time also I felt like well everyone goes to VCU and I kind of mm-hmm. wanted something a little different. What what happened though is that I hated DC. DC yeah. just great resource to have 90 miles up the road if mm-hmm. you need to go to the museum or something but man what a shit town yeah what, what is a, wrong with it like, it just a, doesn't feel right what like, a, i mean you would think it's a bigger city it's you, the nation's you capital would, you would think it would be awesome right 
I thought it was, you know, going to be sort of like if it was like like New York is, you know. But there's no neighborhoods. There's yeah. no no one's friends. No one says hi, and you never yeah. see your friends. And even you know, you stop at the same place for breakfast on your way to school every morning, and you never get to be friends with the people that work there or have you know. Everyone's in a, you know. And basically, the industry there is bureaucracy, right? And there's this turnover, so no one, no one stays. And there's bureaucracy, and there's people that work in the service industries that support it. And there's no, there's no. There's co- bureaucracy, and then there are also politicians who are, you know, make, you know, bullshitting their living. Right. And they don't want, and and they're trying to control their image all the time, so they're not going to be real. There's so, no. And it's still the last time I was in D.C. Just looking at the people that were on the metro with me, it's like I wouldn't be friends with any of these dickheads, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and uh, and it's true, and they wouldn't be friends with me either. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it's so transient. There's I never felt like I was part of a cohesive scene there. I'm still baffled at how. The hardcore scene happened there a few years before I was there in the 80s. When it's like, well, no one's friends. No one talks yeah. to each other. I mean, I went to, I, I went to the parties that, you know, the, the, went to the, go see the bands and everything. I never, like, you never met anyone other than the people you went with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, in contrast, Richmond is a place where I, I remember getting a ride home one weekend with someone who was coming down here and just dropped me. And I was like, well, just drop me off somewhere in the fan. I'll be fine. And I was. Mm-hmm. You just go, like, go sit down in the village and see mm-hmm. who's there. Or mm-hmm. Go down the street and bang on a, your friend's door and, like, just go to the river and, like, you see your friends. Yeah. You know? Uh, it's, I guess, coming from that kind of kind of small-town scene, D.C., I just couldn't stomach it. You know, I yeah, Richmond isn't that enough. small, but it does have that... You know, um, it's an in, it's, it is kind of an insider mm-hmm. town, and it's uh, and I think people not from here have trouble with it. But for me, it's always been. I mean, I have the best fucking support network here ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I have, if I need a resource, I mean, it's like what we we're talking about. You're talking about finding a job. Mm-hmm. I mean, what if I whatever I want? I mean, I. Today I had an electrician come over. He's a friend of mine. He's mm-hmm. Bill Walker came by to check some stuff out, and, you know. And he's willing to come by on his day off. He, you know, uh, figures out like the easiest way to do stuff. And he's my friend. And it's you know, I don't need to. I don't need to pick up the yellow pages to find an electrician that I trust. You yeah. Know? Um, or you know, when I need woodcut for picture frames, whatever I need, if I need work. You know, all that stuff. It's always like, well, I got I got a guy. I know mm-hmm. someone, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's a real – I think most of those people, what's, what's distinct – I mean, I might know those kinds of people in some of the other towns I've lived in, but they want something right then for it. Whereas, like, there isn't even a conscious – I would say it's an it's a understanding that this, there is a barter economy involved here that even if it's not you that's going to do the favor – you know, there's, somebody's yeah, it's, it's going into the bank somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. And just having that mentality, I hook, I hook this person up. They hook someone else up. There's right. this hookup mentality. Right. And then the, the other side of that is, if any of my friends want to know, you know, who's an electrician, I'm going to mm-hmm. send Bill. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and uh, 
I mean, it's I guess the it has a negative connotation, but it's kind of the good old boy network. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, good but old this boy. version of the old boy network is actually to counter the other old boy network in this town that we didn't. We may have been oppressed by. I know that I was. I mean, I grew up in Churchill, and then my mom sends me to private school. Right. And like, even though like I'm from a, a family that was involved in all of that in the 50s and 60s and right, earlier, yeah. I wasn't anymore. I mean, I I just didn't fit in to that right. stuff. And yeah, I'm and like, I, you know, yeah. My my dad is. Well, he he's not from here, but yeah, he's like conservative old white guy, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I ne- my dad went to an Ivy League school, all that stuff, and I never really, f- I don't remember ever being offered. Maybe I just didn't play it right, or I think I just wasn't interested. But mm-hmm. I don't ever remember being, you know, offered my my key to the Skull and Bones Claw. Right. You know, <laughs> we so we made our own. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, well, and that's the thing. This and this is what I was saying about when you were talking about before. Which goes back to that punk rock thing, right? Yes, we are. We Somebody are has kicked you out of one club, <laughs> or not invited you to be part of one, uh, of the fraternity. Right. So yeah. you, you form this other fraternity, and part of what is driving that fraternity is resentment. So right. you're like you're anti a whole bunch of shit. You're not really free. I mean, and that is kind you know? of the, the punk rock problem I was talking about with the, with the hardcore scene earlier. Is that mm-hmm. then yeah then you you, but you know the other thing. I think one of the things that helped the point where I sort of felt really accepted by Richmond, or that, that it wasn't one specific point, but the reason was the thing. The thing that I think made helped people to regard me as legit in this mm-hmm. town was that I was an artist. Mm-hmm. That I have a thing that I do, right? And I and I do it, and I mean it, and I, you know, and. And, and you know at least somewhat proficient at it, and that like that gets you in the club, right? Which mm-hmm. like that. So people are being a patron also to yeah, what you're doing, that, right? Like mm-hmm. I can, you know, it's like if you're in a band, if you go up there and kick ass, then you're in the club. Yeah. You know, even if you were totally uncool a week before, mm-hmm. it's like okay, well you're you, you got your your game down, now, right? Right. You know, and that's kind of how I feel like I got in the club. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was, I mean, and I know, like, there's a lot of people that I got to meet because they knew, like, okay, you're an artist. I so know the problem with, with the club, and, and I think this is, like, you know, this goes back to even talking about the irony and the sincerity thing, mm-hmm. is that he, this is, like, the, also, I would say, the middle-aged growing pain of America as a civilization is that, like, we are given all these choices. Mm-hmm. Like, even when that pressure that adolescent or teenage pressure of fitting in or whatever the hell is gone, we still find it very hard to be ourselves, to just oh, yeah. kind of develop our own voice, do our own thing. Not to be complete. You don't want to be, you know, I'm not talking about going to the point where, you're, you know, nobody gets you, you're completely, <laughs> yeah. you know. There's got to be a balance there, but we are kind of afraid of going too far in that direction. We still need the affirmation. We still need the v- yeah, validation. I think that's bigger. You know. That's even just part of being human. Sure. It, we, you know, you got an ego, and you're a little like, that's always going to be a little factor. Is like, well, what does anyone think of this? But, yeah. Um, but you know, maybe the other thing is that. But the thing is, is if you're doing what you're doing, and this is a, a thing I believe, like this is mm-hmm. like a f- 
totally like guiding principle of mine. If you're doing the right thing all the time, there's no way that you could be going wrong. Like you don't have to be managing an image. You don't have to be like right. in the right place at the right time. All that kind and of I th- crap. I think that you know. In, I don't know if it, walking it with integrity. You know. Right, yeah. and I th- I think that that resonates with other people. They see it like when someone means it, and I think that that could be a cornerstone of the, the theoretical sincerity movement. Sure. Is like, but it, even sincerity can be – you can be sincerely fucking with conventions and turning things on their ear and, and really committing to doing that and mm-hmm. ma- being vulnerable through that. But a lot of people that do it aren't doing it for that reason. They're the doing reason, it because they don't – right. It's the I – mean, What's your motivation? The, right. Y- yield fivefold path. You know, right. It's the mm-hmm. right intentions. Right. Right thinking, it's, right acting, right. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's having the – you know – Thinking right, like why? Yeah, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. What's at the what's at the the basis of this? Uh, because yeah, if you're f- fucking with conventions because you genuinely feel they need to be questioned, well, that's one thing. If you're doing it because because ten other people, it's need, a form. Because <laughs> ten other people are doing this, right. and and you've been you know. Because then you're then you're back to like. Uh, you know, following and then and you, then then fucking with conventions is the new convention. And, and there's nothing wrong with following. It's when you start being uh, when you start cracking down on the other people that aren't following. Then it gets into this right. you know um, oppressive thing that your right. freedom is oppressing somebody yeah. else. You know, I mean, well, it's like it's like the whole uh, you know. It, punks like to say like oh we were just you do you do what you want you be who you want to be but they sure rejected the shit out of jonathan richmond mm-hmm. you know or any other musician that's like well this is my slow acoustic band it's right like, oh no you don't mm-hmm. you know unless you're i mean maybe bob mold could get away with it i don't know well <laughs> it depends on who you're Whose punk aesthetic you're listening to? You pull that mic a little bit closer in there oh, to okay. you. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, we're all right because I'll go back and. But uh, so I was talking to Matt about this even like a while ago. The guys who originally coined the term punk were talking about a group of people in New York City who were making music around CBGBs around the right, Bowery yeah, yeah. in the '70s, and they were a wide range of musicians. I mean, like from you had television, you had the Dead Boys, you had the Ramones, you had right, the Blondie, yeah. you had the Talking Heads, even uh-huh. like. You, People don't think of them as as punk when you look back on it. The, right. the band you would pick out of there and call punk is the Ramones, right? Or but the, then if you look at television, who were totally out of the and and maybe arguably more purely punk, you know. Um, but what does that mean? Okay, like what does that? I, yeah, I don't know. What does That's it mean a, to you? I'll tell you what. You um, show me yours. I'll, yeah, ah, how would I? That they that it was a much more of a rejection or criticism of like the current accepted cl- pop culture mm-hmm. i guess um you know the because the ramones kind of turned into a form yeah and what do you mean by that like because pop culture is a word you know as a phrase we throw around a lot like bands that were popular at the time or um know, is that what they were rebelling I, against I, you know Maybe I maybe I'm just talking chicks that too much iced coffee, but I've I've always I've always kind of felt that way that that like Richard Hell and and uh, Patty Smith and like television like that those were the people that really sort of um, invented punk I guess right. that it was a that it was much more of a DIY mm-hmm. um, as opposed to 
And I mean, I'm sure they. Well, all... I'm trying to lead you into saying something because I don't think you're talking shit here. You're saying that's something that we rarely examine. We throw around these terms about mm-hmm. punk rock, and it's an accepted thing. And we go, yeah, you know, and we drop these names and we drop these places. What they were doing to me is the same thing that various art, you know, schools of painting have done when they popped up. They say everybody is so stuck and rigid in doing this one thing. You know, let's break out of yeah. yeah let's break out of the out of the form. Let's right? bring back the excitement, the fun, the discovery, all of that. And if you can't right. play, there's a lot of discovery to. And play. I yeah, and I yeah. F- I feel like even though I mean the Ramones are an awesome punk band, and I I mean I love some Ramones, but but they like post Ramones because they are like you said they're the ones that now would be identified as like oh that's the punk sound. Mm-hmm. Maybe okay. Here's the thing, and I guess this is just me re-saying what you just said, but. I feel like those other bands, like television, it was more of a philosophy. Yeah, they were intellectuals. They were totally in. Yeah, yeah that it was more of a. And the Ramones Richard were Hell, not intellectuals. <laughs> the Ramones were not. They kind of took the idea, but but the then post Ramones, when everyone sort of latched on, what people latched onto was the sound mm-hmm. and the look. With but it was just vapid. Right. Without, without the philosophy. And I'm not saying the Ramones were vapid, but, but anyone who's like, oh, punk means black leather jacket, fast, you know, right. pop music played, power at double speed, mm-hmm. power chords, and, you know, now it's just, it's just a form. Mm-hmm. And that's, that was kind of... It's a form without the substance. And like, okay, so what I know about those guys is that they wanted to play old school 50s and 60s rock and roll. They, wanted, they just wanted to play that stuff. It wasn't right. like they had some... They just didn't like Foreigner and Boston right, and all yeah. of that stuff. And they were like, we want to play that stuff that and used to be and so that, good that is, that 20 is years ago. that is validly as punk as it gets. Like, right. I'm not going lockstep in the fashion of, of the right. time. Um, the other people like Patti Smith, those guys are intellectuals. They're like art school kids, like right, you know, the yeah, two of totally. us. I mean, I didn't go to art school, but I went... Yeah, to VCU, same. and I approached it. I was an English major, but I approached it as an... Yeah, you know, same thing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I took a lot of those classes. But the thinking is, I, am, I have a theory behind what I'm doing. There, right. is an, there is something I'm going for. I'm not just getting up there and playing music, but I'm also very conscious of that I'm screwing with conventions. I'm screwing with right, this right, stuff. Right, I'm right, turning right. this on a tier. I'm experimenting. I'm messing around with it. Those people were very my thinking about that. You know, mm-hmm. they named Richard Hell and Tom Verlaine. I mean, they're naming themselves after people they admired right. and yeah, you know. <laughs> after old like French poets right. and stuff like that. You know, um, I mean, it clearly, yeah, I mean, those degree people started. Of pretentious. They were, but they were starting it. <clears throat> they're also, you know, what were they like twenty years old right. or something? But yeah, they're trying to start an intellectual movement and uh, and and maybe the first like intellectual movement within popular culture mm-hmm. you know, i wouldn't say i would say that they, we get them all the time and then they get taken over and they get made into a form and they get sold right yeah i mean the guys like the pre-raphaelites and their circle those guys are kind of for their time like punk rockish you know even though what they were pu- pulling from their thing they were going retro on was like fucking classical mythology right yeah that they thought was cool to bring back into what, what were the time period they were living like around Victorian or after? Yeah, pre raphaelites I usually think of them as like yeah, a hundred years ago. Yeah, so like that the guy that Malay, uh, who uh, what is his name, John Malay, or he did the painting of Ophelia. Uh, 
I, yeah, I, and I'm bad with remembering their. I mean, but you I, know that painting, right? Yeah. Where it's, a, it's Ophelia laying with all the flowers around Water, her, or whatever. Yeah. I and I learned that that guy because I actually took them in a literature class because mm-hmm. they also wrote poems and right. stuff like that. He was painting a hooker laying in a dress in a bathtub that he had just got done fucking. You know, so <laughs> like they were, these guys were not you know snooty upper crust. They were they were fucking with. Yeah. Shit. Then it was like very rock and roll to them to be like. Which is, I mean, is know. actually even though we look at him now as like a reactionary conservative movement, maybe, mm-hmm. but in a way, like going back and playing fifties rock and roll is sort of a you know a reactionary kind of thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, it's and I, somebody is always finding this thing right Mm -hmm. and then somebody else can make money off of it and then they just make it into a commodity right and then somebody there has to be another group to come along and say like wait it's become a commodity it's become this bland form thing and it it needs to be re-injected with balls Mm -hmm. or whatever you want to whatever metaphor you want not to leave the women out you know (laughs) inject some ovaries into it yes some tits i don't whatever but but you know that thing, the sexual thing, you know the 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 creative energy, like that thing where we're like we're not because there's always there's constantly a force of homogenization going on, especially in our culture because somebody there's somebody that wants to make money off of this, yeah. There's, and there's always somebody right, yeah, looking yeah. to make money off of it, yeah. And and most of the time, artists are not very savvy about the fact that no, there's somebody not. waiting in the wings all the time to exploit them. You know, whether well, and we're also, yeah, I mean, we tend to be sort of uh, so married to our ideals, which, I mean, because that's how, where the art comes from, is that hopefully... It, uh, you don't want to compromise, you want to sell wanna, out. Yeah, you, you have what you think is this brilliant idea, like, fuck, no, I'm not going to compromise this. I'm on, you know, I'm on a... I'm on a vision quest here, right. man. But you as a, as a relatively re- representation you know, oriented painter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do portraits and you do landscapes and stuff. It's dec- It can be decorative. Like, you can get your creative rocks off, but you also do have a, a, can be, a yeah. market for that, uh, that know, people fa- will buy your portraits and hang them in their living room. I fall in this, I, f- I think, and, may, you know, of course, trying to see where you stand in things, we never have the perspective to do that accurately, but I feel like I fall into this kind of weird zone in between there. I don't think I'm decorative. I don't think my paintings are really that, you know, I I have the parts there. Like, yes, I can do a, a pretty representational portrait, landscape, that kind of thing. But I, there's always some part of me that sabotages any hope of it being um, really... Ha- Lots of mass appeal, I guess. You know that the, I mean, like but, the but landscapes I've been girls doing. Girls are, are always <laughs> naked. Girls have a lot of mass appeal, but not everybody wants to buy it and put it on, right? Put it up in, in the house or like I have. How do you do? Have Have you done selling those? I mean, you've done a lot of nudes, and that's yeah, that's yeah. how I know you really is. Like I, I'm aware that you've painted a lot of women that we both know. Yeah, nude I, and yeah, and I painted a lot of like a lot of our friends, um, but. Uh, they do sell some, I guess. Uh, I mean, yeah, they do because I don't. They're not. But you if don't you don't have any downstairs, no. If you go downstairs, actually, there's a whole lot of the ones oh, that really? didn't sell, and some of them are several years old. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they. I don't sell them all. Um, and then you know, now I'm doing landscapes, but 
the thing I'm trying, I'm painting like shopping centers and mm-hmm. stuff. You know, I don't want to go out and paint pastoral. You know, I, I is there a little pop art uh, thinking in those shopping really, centers that they've become? Mm, I'm trying to avoid that ruins of the America. I mean, Richmond's commercial because you live in this great wasteland of that. It is over a here wa- It is like you it know? is a suburban wasteland. It, out but here. It's, it's also kind of archaeological and anthropological. There's I mean, like yeah, but there's old, like googie. St- architecture right down the road from mm-hmm. me and or not I don't think it's actually officially Googie art but you know there's some great 50s modern stuff mm-hmm. going on around here with you know, like weeds growing uh-huh. through it and but uh, there's a little bit of that I'm trying not to be too sentimental mm-hmm. but I guess it's like like I was painting this subdivision and uh, and, and I told some people like where I was painting these new houses in Fulton Bottom, and and people were like, ooh, I hate those houses. And my thinking is like, well, it, you know, I could go out to the country, which is not where I live, and not where any of my friends live. And then, and then it gets kind of pretentious mm-hmm. that I'm like, you know, this cinem- this fake, sentimental, idealized, right. I, this is what's in good taste is a, is a repu- like a republic or right like this is yeah th- this you know, is wood what's, frame house this out is there. good taste right federal is what I'm trying to say yeah. not republic right right this is yeah this is good taste oh I right. hate good taste right and uh, well it's kind of arbitrary I mean what does it fucking represent like well the, and and then the other thing that I'm I'm kind of and and I, I was joking that like well you know maybe the people in these houses have have paintings like that hanging up in their house. So maybe mm-hmm. someone in the country will buy this painting of a suburb and yeah. hang it up in their house. But, but as far as like good taste, I'm also, I am, I am waging a, a war on the idea of the tasteful nude. Mm-hmm. You want to piss me off. Let me hear you say like, Oh, but you do tasteful nudes, mm-hmm. don't you? Um, I'm trying for more Dicks, more pubic hair, more flat, challenging, a little less uh, comfortable. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not. It's not my job to make you comfortable. Yeah, not at all. I'm not. You know, if you're comfortable, you're not looking. Then that that gives you like, oh, I don't have to look when you're. You Mm. know, when you're comfortable, that's what comfortable means. Like familiar. Mm Everything. You know, you're not being challenged at all. But at the same time, I also like to paint regular things. Yeah. You know, so. I think well what my sense of Warhol's you know intent there he wasn't being snide or even being ironic he was like look at these things we take for granted and look at well the okay in, of in them, that you know? sense yeah right. totally like I, I'm totally on board with that this yeah. like if I'm painting a shopping center it's like well this is where you actually go mm-hmm. this is where this is where our where we've actually invested all of our effort and money right now like mm-hmm. uh, you know if you don't like it, then you better you better take you know take a look at yourself. Yeah. this is the world we made. You're supporting this, yeah. This you know? this is the world we <laughs> either made. by your like, uh, your silent uh, ascent or your you, your active ascent, right? You know, yeah, one this, or the other. this is actually like if you think the country's so great, why don't you you know you don't right. live there, right? Um, and uh, and I guess yeah, I also feel like the. I'm not trying to show that it just is ugly either. I also think, like, you can find some beauty there. Beauty's wherever you go and look for it. Mm-hmm. And maybe find an unexpected place, like a shopping mall or a suburb or something like that, and 
a good artist, I feel like I should be able to tell the truth and also find some beauty in it. Did you ever see that uh, movie, Nine and a Half Weeks, with uh, Mickey uh-huh. Rourke and Kim Basinger? It's so bad about movies. Well, yeah. there's a scene in it that always resonated with me where she's doing a gallery show. That's her job is she's a curator of a gallery, and she's going out to talk to this artist. And, and she's going through this weird stuff with this w- very w- controlling, freaky guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's sitting down with this old man who's just he's out in his yard um, turning a fish over in his hands. She's just, just, just flipping it over in his hands. And he says, you know, I, I look at an object until it is so familiar that it becomes strange. And then I try to paint that moment, huh. you know, hey. and I like, I mean, and that's a, maybe that's a semi hoity toity kind of a thing, but I think there's, a, yeah. you know, there's a spirituality b- behind this, that this is like what a lot of Eastern thought is, is getting to is stop speeding past all of this stuff in your life. Contemplate, oh, yeah. you know, contemplate. Even this stuff that you have decided is bullshit you've dismissed, around you. You've, like, you've yeah. dismissed because it's still the fabric in the, of your life. It's still the tissue of your life. It's the landscape of your life. Mm-hmm. Look at it and, and then contemplate what went into it. Contemplate what it is. You know? right, yeah. don't, don't see it as – I mean because constantly you know, these Zen masters are getting their, their pupils to see – oh, originally there's a lesson in one of them I read that he, originally there is no rubbish in men or things. There is no trash. There is no waste. You know, it's all it's all in the in the perception and the thinking right. about it. Yeah, I mean, what, yeah. and one of the the way I approach landscape painting, the, like my process, the first step of my process is to go take a walk. Mm-hmm. And if you do that and slow down, and just go take a walk anywhere. I don't care. Like you can put me down anywhere, and I I do consciously choose like i want to go to this neighborhood this place or my neighborhood or the down but i can i take my sketchbook with me i can always find something i would like to do a painting of Mm -hmm. sometimes Mm -hmm. there's practical reasons why i couldn't like oh i'd have to stand in the middle of this busy street to really get what i want but there's always something and the idea that like you know oh i'm gonna go to this artist retreat where it's nothing but beautiful landscape all around. Like, why do you have to do that? Like, that just makes it less valid. Or sure, something. and it also sets up the idea that there are things in your world that, that don't belong there. Like, right, that there's and this, that's, that goes back know? to the whole idea of the, the tasteful nude. The whole mm-hmm. idea of that is basically like, you're going to spare us the genitalia and only paint people with beautiful bodies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And although I have been, I have been fortunate to see a lot of really beautiful naked bodies yeah and you know i want to i want to talk to you about this in a way that you know you don't i'm not fucking with you here okay because i respect you as a painter and you're one of the reasons one of the reasons i want to talk to you is that you do seem to be one of those people who is a painter who is making something of a living of it and a life out of it i mean you are teaching life yeah livings and teaching you know but there's a, a small handful of people that i can say have remained dedicated to making art you know that are our age mm-hmm. you know um but I did, you know, in my most cynical, I regarded what you were doing, and I was like, hey, that Tommy, man, he's got a great angle. You know, he gets these beautiful girls right. that come over his house and, you know. It's and- true, but <laughs> if I can remind anyone else who's thinking that same thing, is that you don't have time to fuck if you're painting from life. Yeah. You can't. <laughs> you can't. It can't happen if you've got to get the painting done. And I've, I've always felt... Uh, that my first commitment is uh, I've got to accomplish painting here. Mm-hmm. I've got to get that done. Um, 
So, uh, but we do have to. Like, I was listening to this guy riding over here on Radio IQ, and he was a uh, a musician who is really an, like an entomologist. Also, mm-hmm. he's really into bugs and like bugs mating songs. And like, he's talking about all the different ways, like crickets rub their legs, right, and yeah, cicadas yeah, yeah. vibrate their bodies, and they do all these different things. And so he decided to go out and play this bas- bass clarinet. Uh, uh-huh. With a chorus of cicadas, like, oh, and so he actually did cicadas, this yeah. in, uh, nearby, like somewhere, like in Petersburg or something. Oh, cool! Strange. Yeah, we got great cicadas right here. But he said, you know, and the question you may ask is, why would I want to play along to this? And and the answer was very quick for me: is that you playing that clarinet is your mating song. Most many of us men do get into art because it is a mating song. It's a way of you showing our colors. Everybody is a way of showing does, who we are. It, everybody does everything for pussy, right? Fuck all y'all. If you say you're not, you're a big fucking liar. If you're a man and you're making... It, on mean, some level, now, this is demonstrating your... Right. Your and I'm not, worth I'm, as a mate. It's not direct. Or, like, mm-hmm. I don't hire models so I can fuck them. I hire people because I want to paint them. Right. Um, and, and when you say hire, I mean, do you, you pay, I pay them? I, oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Um, and if if not, I mean, somebody's out there that's like, I didn't get any money. Um, often people, I mean, sometimes people volunteer and lots of times it's barter mm-hmm. and maybe sometimes it's that more general, you might give them, you know, give them the general RVA. Sometimes? Yeah. I'll give people a drawing, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and, uh, and I have a lot of people that are just like, no, no, I'm doing this for fun or for me or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, but I, I try to never ask anyone for their time for nothing. And, you know, um, there aren't a fair amount of them flattered to be a part and so, of it. And, and, yeah. and some some people are, but I also, you know the other thing is, if you want your models to show up, the secret is to pay them. Yeah, I mean it, because yeah. if it's just like a fun thing you're doing on a mm-hmm. Saturday, you know half the time or or more you'll get a call twenty minutes before saying like oh, I can't make it. But if you know if you're and, and the thing is, like, I do need them to sort of work a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. they have to... You have to sit there for... You have to sit there. You have to sort of hold still. You mm-hmm. have to, you know... Um, you have to deal with whatever music I'm blaring, you know. Um, By the way, my friend Jess, uh, who I was I was telling her, she doesn't ever met you. She's not from Richmond. She's actually from Wisconsin, and I met her in Minnesota, but she's living in Fredericksburg right now. And uh, she, like said, who are you going to interview? And I said, well, it's a painter. His name's uh, Tommy Van Auken. So she looked you up while we were on the phone together. Uh-huh. And she uh, saw that you do a lot of nudes. And um, and I said, would you like to ask Tommy a question? You know, like, um, you can text me one. It'll be like a, a oh, caller okay. coming in. So oh, all right. I can't call, turn my phone on, so I'll have to paraphrase. What, yeah, this is from Jess. This is Jess M. from uh, Originally from Philadelphia, uh, okay. but she lives in Fredericksburg right now. All and right. she asks... Um, do you ask the models to touch themselves when you are painting them, or is that just a natural response to being in your presence? <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was. She was looking at a painting of someone with their hands across right. their... Uh, no, I asked her to. Um, well, you know, we there was a lot of... There was... I got to say, no, that do, that I don't think that has ever happened spontaneously. <laughs> However, it was also not... She wasn't acting. There was I. You wouldn't believe how much discussion and planning and like f- went into that mm-hmm. to make sure we were both kind of on the same page as far as like. And this is a painting that's on your website that I haven't seen, but she described it. Yeah, as it's a, at the if you yeah 
It's a woman sitting. I can't do it right. But she's sitting with her legs she's spread. She's fucking her herself. Hand. She's oh. masturbating. Oh, she is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, you can look on your phone if you Google. I turned it off because the battery okay. is yeah, on. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, no, it's something that I was like, you know, all I think all my paintings, maybe the common thread in all of them is like, they're they're completely mundane things. Maybe this is what I would like them to be: completely mundane things that are made exceptional by the presence of the observer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me or the viewer, whoever, you know. That this well, is like, everybody does masturbate, and that everyone, is mundane. And everyone goes to a shopping <laughs> But it's center. not mundane if I get to watch you masturbate, like the right. girl. Like, suddenly that becomes an exceptional suddenly event. Suddenly becomes right? exceptional. <laughs> right. And, you know, everyone sees shopping centers, but when you see, like, holy shit, this guy probably spent 20 hours doing a, a, a painting of Willow Lawn. Mm-hmm. The context. See, I would really be fascinated to see that personally because I'm coming back to Richmond with new eyes from living in Minnesota for mm-hmm. four years. I'm driving around these parts of town going, this is like romantic ruins. Like, Richmond oh, yeah. has been a city for a lot longer than a lot of other cities. And they've, it's been through a lot of phases and stages and big civic projects and big yeah, yeah. commercial projects that are uh-huh. either gone or fallen to ruin. I just found out about the Marshall Street Viaduct the other day, which is a bridge that went from Jefferson Park across Shaco Bottom and came out at MCV. They tore it down in 1970, but it was there for 70 years. Damn. A, a, a friggin' erector set like bridge that they built. That somebody wow. came along and went, that's about to fall down. I wouldn't yeah. send any more cars across it. But it was, it was like, it was so dangerous taking a streetcar up and down Broad Street Hill that they came up with this as an alternative. Oh, so that's how, okay, interesting. Yeah, but anyway, so back to the like Jess's question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I brought it up, and I brought it actually. I brought it up with with you know handful, small handful of of models. But um, as in, would you? Yeah, like like I more like like I kind of want to do a painting of this. Would you be down? And and also, what's your, you know, are you okay with this as a? Uh, it's not a date. <laughs> you know, this uh-huh. is like I'm going to be painting, mm-hmm. and I'm going, you know, and we both have to be like I got to be able to focus on my painting. Which mm-hmm. you want a fucking challenge? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, have an attractive woman fucking yourself in front of you, and you've got. You know, and and you got an hour to get a painting done. Yeah, and Try so that. and and when we, we tend to think of this as like when somebody's taking pictures of something. It like wasn't. That. It wasn't it's someone. Was, it wasn't someone thing. I'm dating. Right. You know, it wasn't. You know, and but she's yeah. there for a long time in this, in this uh, attitude, like you know, uh, in this configuration, mm-hmm. and and this isn't like just a still life. Like it's an active thing. Like or was. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I could. Sorry about the ice crunching the microphone. My bad. It's more verite, man. But, uh, I mean, I've got, I don't know, a hundred drawings. And, I mean, there was a lot of, um, it was, it's a lot. I mean, and it's the the painting that she saw, it's like one little 10-inch painting. But, Mm um, I mean, I, it was just like tons of drawings and working out like, and and not just the the part of my job of you know how am I going to draw this what's going to work but or how am I going to paint this but but also the two of us working out like 
what are our boundaries? What do we say? Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's potentially a pretty awkward situation, mm-hmm. and it's got to be the the chemistry between us was just right that we could work this out as like okay you're in your place and I'm in mine and there's a little you know in the in the Venn diagram of that situation <laughs> there's a little overlap and that's my you know um, but uh, it was no jest it's never happened spontaneously um, but the asking was a the big process of mm-hmm. like it was more like yeah, I guess I, I did ask it, but it was also a a lot of discussion to work out that. And I probably mm-hmm. overthink things. Probably somewhere there's a pain. It's just like, hey, why don't you play with yourself? And yeah, and there, it's fine. But I I I can't work that way. Well, that's and, and that really is an interesting insight into your process. And 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 it does seem as a person who is fascinated with the process even more than the end product mm-hmm. a lot of times. Um, that's really fascinating to me to imagine the tension of that. And see that and the- tension. That's where the that's where the painting happens is in the tension. Right. But we've got to both be on board. Thanks for saying that for me. That's what that's what I couldn't get out was that mm-hmm. we've got to both be okay. And I found someone who's perfect for it. Mm-hmm. Is who we're both okay with creating that tension, and then both of us getting our thing out of the tension, not mm-hmm. like. Without gratifying the tension, without gratifying the, the tension, or, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That it like, and we're both okay with this, and it is what it is. And when we're done, we're done, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we can kind of like wallow in that point there, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not, you know, it's not uh, like this is not a ploy for me to fuck you, you know. Um, and. Uh, but at the same time, like, I don't want to stay completely clinical about it. I don't, I'm not. I right. mean, I'm a man. Of course, it's like, it's hot. Right. It's, you have to be intoxicated you, by this thing to look at it, it long enough. Right. And I like, and there's, there's desire there. And I want to feel that. Right. I want to paint. I want that to be, but I've got to play it out in the painting, not with my cop. And there's discipline you know? in there, right? Because if we're totally animals, right? And, mm-hmm. and to me, when people say something, a lot of times people say human in order to uh, to really talk about an animal to, thing. To differentiate us from like, oh, we're well, not. Well, no, they human. say human usually as a cop out for oh, when I'm somebody. I'm only human. Right. When right. They, when they, I'm only an animal. Right. That's really what they're saying. Is that I'm just saying into, that. I'm only an animal. <laughs> I'm just a fucking I'm just monkey. A I'm just a goddamn like harm- vertebrae, you know? <laughs> what is this in Seinfeld? He's just an innocent. Uh, Oh God damn! What are these innocent primate? And Kramer says, "Well, so am I." <laughs> you right. know, we're all primates. You yeah, know? that's true. And uh, and I mean, so but here's the human thing: is resisting the urge to do what your animal self is telling you to do. It's like to delay gratification, mm-hmm. and uh, and like to be in that tension of like well, I want to get my hands on this person, or I. This might you know, be a bad pun. I'm not intending it, but that's me turning the fish over and over and sure. examining it until sure. you know. But it's we have that luxury that self-exam- of that yeah that, that we self awareness objective uh, uh, and we have all of these layers of objectivity within our subjectivity right, yeah and you know yeah we can be an observer of our own motivations of our own behavior mm. of our own thinking right and you know there's a constant paradox in there and it's amazing and that's what it is to be human to me right. is it and a lot of that awareness does fuck all to stop you from behaving like an animal anyway yeah. and then you feel bad about it later so that's another part of being human is feeling right. ashamed of it and, then and feel- I like I want to completely feel those like human primate 
feelings. I don't want to squelch those. And this is the challenge is like, but I want to express it in a painting. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to feel less human. I don't want to feel less, you know, I don't want to feel completely removed from what's going on in front of me. I mean, when I paint a landscape, I, I make it a point every time I paint a landscape to walk through it. Mm-hmm. At some point in the middle of the process and like see it from that perspective of being in, you know, if I were in this painting, here's what I would see. Um, and I like, I, I don't, I never paint from photos. I, it's all from life. And I always mm-hmm. like to like, I like being, I like the visceral feeling of, you know, I'm a witness, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I'm not witnessing things. Maybe that's like the bigger part of my that i feel is is the important part of my job is i'm a witness right I'm not a the, and a test you've also testified this is this is yeah your, i'm a witness and then i give my testimony yeah it's not just and people are like oh you know you can make that picture a lot faster why don't you just like go in a magazine and find a picture of a of a girl masturbating or mm-hmm. why don't you just go, take a photo of the landscape like well the, i that's giving false testimony mm-hmm. or that's mm-hmm. just, or that's plagiarizing or someone that experience. Cause it's not going to feel the same. I'm there to, to that, have right? the, I'm there to right. have the experience and the painting. The painting is like the, that that's part of the experience. Right. It's like, and I'm involved in my landscape. I'm there standing in it painting. I'm, right. you know, uh, when the girl and object, yeah. When mm-hmm. the girl's doing that, like the, what she's getting off on is, I mean, uh, other than just the manual thing, is that that there's someone there witnessing. Mm-hmm. That it, I mm-hmm. mean, it is, it is a like a back and forth. There is a mm-hmm. you know, th- there is uh, interaction. It's just not the conventional sex that most people would think of as like the ultimate field goal. Right. Um, right. Which is really like, as, as I don't know, the French say the best part of the affair is the is on your way up to the apartment, you know, or like the, yeah. the anticipation. The f- of course, the French have a word for it. <laughs> they just move there. But, you know, I mean, for me and I am one of those intellectuals, like mm-hmm. I do get off on the contemplation of something it, it, more than if not, you know, as much as, if not more than, the actual doing of it. Like, me playing in bands, I enjoy as much sitting around talking about what we're going to do in the band, what we just did in the band, right? as I do actually playing. The yeah. playing thing goes by so fast, just like with sex, you know? Uh, I mean, listen, it's like, it, like, orgasms aren't hot. Desire is right. what's hot. The tension. So it's the tension. And an so orgasm is a release of that tension. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, <laughs> that then, tension, then it's all you know? over. Then right. it's yeah, sandwich time. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> then, like, you know, I don't care. Are you, you still naked? You know, you, who cares? Put some clothes on. Put some clothes on. What are we Clean doing? Yourself oh, my up. God. Look at me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but... Um, no, there's the there's the the whole story with those that painting and there's a few of those paintings mm-hmm. actually there's a couple of them. Well, it's interesting too. I mean, I call this my show tantric conversation and and you know, and I'm not completely ignorant as to what tantric is. The reason it was applied to me at one point was um, because my roommate was likening it to tantric sex, which is really about not extending go- and meditating on and contemplating the communication, the intimacy, right. the physicality. Not so much the goal. Not going straight to the thing. Yeah, I want to. Not like I need. I'm trying. There's to get actually that one it's answer. a ritual, and there's actually a lesson in it. Sure. That, yeah, I kind of I sort of got that from the. I, I picked up on that. And that is without being like overly boring myself with that. That's part of what's you know my interest in doing this, and I think that's that's my interest in art and and most p- 
process is, is to pay attention to you know that mm-hmm. feeling and not to relieve the feeling because it's actually you get to extend the mindset yeah you and get that's... to and you get to contr- to some degree control it you know make it last a little bit mm-hmm. longer instead of its normal animal function is to get you horny to right. hit it and then run yeah. you know and, and, and like get out of there and that's its normal animal function but we get to repurpose it into yeah all of this stuff and that's, you know? i mean and that's like paying is to me it's it's something to do mm-hmm. it's not I mean, if I just wanted the picture to put on the wall, I've got a camera. I've got a camera phone in my pocket. I mm-hmm. can, you know, of course, it doesn't ever look quite the way that I imagine it. I can make a painting look really just the way I imagine it. But, um, you know, it's the doing it. It's mm-hmm. I mean, because that's like you're stuck here, or stuck, or you're you're fortunate to be here, whatever you want to see it for a finite amount of time. Like you got to. It's what you do. And this is a Kilroy was here kind of a thing. I mean, nobody has the exact same organ in their skull as you do and the same hands and the same eyes and all of that stuff. That Those ultraviolet rays bouncing off that shit that you're looking at, getting turned into information in your brain and then coming out and onto a canvas, that is never going to happen again. Yeah, but no one else, no was, other person. Right? Yeah, it's a and, and that is unique what, experience. Isn't that what like? I mean, that's what I understand. Did Duchamp and those guys were really trying to highlight that that is a part of what art is? Is it's a person saying, "Hey, I witnessed and testified to this." So, what if we really focused on the yeah. personality? And that went that go way too far and yeah, turned into they a took fucking it hoax. Far, yeah, you know. Yeah. At the same time, it's fascinating. Like one of them, there was a like Duchamp and somebody else were one upping themselves with this shit, and one of them signed the other's death or funeral or, or gravestone huh. or something like that. Oh, really? And I mean, it's like on the one hand, it's like I'm putting my dick on that, you know. I'm like saying, like, yeah, totally, yeah. You know, but on the other hand, it's saying that each human being, although we are very, you know, the, the same thing in it's a lot your, of ways, yeah, the, we your are experience. You, there's that that very. You know that those subtle differences that are are distinct and will never these combinations will never exist again. Matter is neither created nor destroyed, but it is never yeah. combined the same way twice. Well, yeah, and it's it is it's all your experience. Mm-hmm. That's all anything is is your experience of the thing. I and mean, there's a transubstantiation thing going on as you look at a thing and pass it through you on, onto a, a totally into, onto art, a ca- you know? into a onto a canvas or mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and there's, I mean, I th- I've, I. Teach perspective drawing to people, which is you know pretty cut and dry. In high school, or no, I teach at, at Visual Arts Center. I teach a class in perspective drawing, okay. and I include it in. My I don't know what the Visual Arts Center is. What is it? Yeah, you do. It's Hand Workshop. Oh, okay. Change, okay. They changed the name. Change. Well, Hand Just, Workshop I grew up with, but right uh, okay. to confuse everybody. You probably yeah. took classes there, but it was Hand yeah. Workshop. Then. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, but I teach you know perspective drawing. But when I when I wax philosophical about it. When you, you start thinking about this, and it's just what you were just saying, that you realize that every, the whole point there is you can draw an elevation or a, or a floor plan or a map, and that's the, the theory of the space and arrangement of the things, but you never see it that way. Right. You will never see a perfect elevation. Mm-hmm. You see everything in perspective, which is completely unique. Mm-hmm. To you in your experience, and then you can take it a step further and realize, like, well, that's just when we're looking at objects in space and converting them from three dimensions to two dimensions. But the same thing is true, you know. It, it's 
it's everything. Mm-hmm. Like you, the whole, your whole idea of reality is warped through your personal perspective, and you can't not see it. Yeah, I mean, our brains are are artists. They're yeah. they're taking disjointed information yeah, we sound and like make we're really high right now. <laughs> No, well, that's that's part of what we're we're getting. Yeah, every, you know, I hope everyone. I hope no one just started listening to this part because <laughs> they're just going to think like these two guys are stoned. I'm not listening to this. We cut shit. out the bong hit. Yeah, we, we, no, I I'm like this naturally, yeah. and and that. But well, we had some coffee. We should that that helps a lot. It's psychoactive, but that I mean, really, that to, to stop and contemplate that that what we call reality, what you're looking at, and what I'm looking at right now it's not, is it's never gonna is a brain thing. ordering. Mm-hmm. Information. It's ordering. You know fuck. You know. I gotta piss like a fucking racer. Is, is it time? Is it time? We can we can wrap it up right here. Um, why don't we? Yeah. You tell me a little bit about if you've got any. This is actually we're recording this on first Friday, the beginning of July. Do you oh. have a show up? At I a don't gallery? have it now. Uh, but it, and this is the point where I can plug things. You sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost always have some. I just had a show at Eric Schindler Gallery. And that's up on Churchill on 23rd and Broad, 23rd and Broad. And Mm -hmm. there's always most of the work from that show is actually still in the gallery. The stuff Mm -hmm. that didn't sell. Uh, And Kirsten always keeps some of my paintings and a lot of other good local artists. Chris Holbert, who you know, you're Mm -hmm. interviewing him Mm -hmm. again soon. Um, uh, Wait, does she have any? What other galleries are you down you know with? You? No, Chris is at Quirk, right? He's well, he, Quirk for the last now. month he was at Quirk. Uh, for the month of June, okay, he's I at feel Quirk galleries. No, she probably doesn't have any of Chris's work there. He's at Quirk. He usually has a piece left at. Seems like there's got to be something of his there. Anyway, but what galleries are you down with? We got Eric Schindler. Uh, Schindler, uh, I have a piece at Viz Arts Visual Arts Center, which mm-hmm. used to be hand. And you're teaching there. I'm teaching there. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a piece there because their faculty shows up right now, okay. which is a really good way to pick an art teacher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but because uh, there's all, just a lot of dudes everyone, in your class want to draw naked. <laughs> everyone, yeah. Time, but um, but all the faculty has work in the the faculty show right now, as well as the staff, and and so it's a good chance to see like what the people that work there do. Uh, I have a blog. Um, ThomasVanAuken.wordpress. I will put a link. Uh, on, yeah, on throw the, a link up there so uh-huh. people can see. Because and you have a website too. We will we'll put a link. That's it. That. Yeah. Oh, it's all that one is, thing. Yeah, okay. that, that WordPress site is my website, and you can also find I've got a Facebook page, like art page, that you can you can like it. Okay. Or you can just look at it. Mm-hmm. You, know. you don't have to like it. You don't have to like it. I'm just putting my art out there. Button, you but you are totally free to fucking hate my shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can be um, indifferent. And uh, do I have... Yeah, that's that's about it. Nothing this first Friday, but uh, anyway. All right, well, let, we can wrap it up here. Uh, let's have a... I, let's say it together. One, two, three. I got to piss. piss like a Bad as a motherfucker. Oh, bad as a motherfucker. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, that was Tommy Van Auken. I hope you enjoyed that chat. I know I did. I got a lot of yucks out of it. And now we uh, have the uh, mystery of the uh, masturbating and painting solved. And uh, I encourage you to go to Tommy's website. It's a, a WordPress website, and he said it on there. And I'm also going to put a link on there. And uh, he mentioned um, Kristen Gray's. Gallery, the Eric Schindler Gallery up in Churchill, 23rd and Broad. Excellent gallery. Lots of my friends. 
shown there. We love them. Um, yeah, so give me some money, all right? I don't want to have to get a day job anymore. I just want to do this all the time. So hook a brother up. Just drop, you know, come on. Drop by the Encourage Me page with uh, $20. Just 20 bucks. All this entertainment, $20. Yeah, so until next time, namaste. Namaste.